Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Today, we're super excited to have Victoria Kuklina with us. Victoria is a chief financial officer, or as she likes to call herself, FinTech CFO of Pinnacle Home Care. With 12 locations through all of Florida, Pinnacle Home Care provides skilled home health nursing services. As FinTech CFO, Victoria is charged with ensuring Pinnacle makes sound decisions while overseeing information technology and supporting aggressive company growth. Victoria has been recognized as a CFO of the Year honoree by Tampa Bay Business Journal in 2021. Prior to Pinnacle, Victoria served as an executive level consultant for 10 years leading and supporting teams through strategic and tactical processes and directed companies through their financial transformations. Victoria holds a Canadian CPA, CGA, and Honors Bachelor of Commerce from Laurentian University. Victoria, we're so excited to have you with us and know that your vulnerability today is going to really help our listeners. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, Victoria. I just have a a little quote that uh, we read to all of our guests. So I'm going to read that to you and then we can get started. The quote is from Brene Brown. And it says, one day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah. And Victoria, we know you just flew in from Dallas yesterday where you gave a talk to a financial technology audience. And we're super grateful that you're here with maybe little sleep from all your travel. And we were talking before we got on the air here and know that the reason why you're here today with us is super important for you to explain to our listeners. And I love what you said to us before about your why. So do you want to share why you're kind of deciding to speak about a very hurtful uh, past and be very vulnerable or, as you said, naked with us? Yes, of course. Thank you so much, uh, Patty. I definitely am very excited to be here and looking forward to having our conversation. It is my first time in sharing my story. It is a personal story, but there is a why behind um, why I decided to start sharing my story and speaking about it. And my personal why is that I'm hoping to be able to connect to parents out there who are raising children and hopefully have an impact on their children's lives in a positive way. And if I can save or help one or two or three human beings out there, then I will be fulfilling my why. And what I want to talk about today with you here is the inner voice, the inner voice that we as parents are constantly depositing into our children's lives. And 
eventually it becomes their DNA and it becomes that inner voice that stays with them for the rest of their life. And we do that subconsciously. We don't know that we are doing it, of course, as we live our life day to day with our children, but it happens. And and then we, as adults, when we grow up, that inner voice stays with us for the rest of our life. And I feel that that's something that parents need to be aware of. And that's why I'm here. So it sounds like you, your inner voice is your why to be here today. The the one that was created when you were a child is what's um, you know speaking for you a little bit today. Is that is that right, Victoria? That's right, Patty. I think that I am here to share my story in a way that I am still battling my inner voice, where I have already been able and lucky uh, to be able to identify and know that this is not me and to be able to kind of battle with it and rebuild it and make it stronger, make it more of who I am as a soul and not what I've been programmed as a child. And I'm already a grown adult and I'm still fighting with it. Yeah, I get our, our, we call it the, the negative inner voices we call our itty bitty shitty committee. And I wonder if we ever stop grappling with that. I think if the more you work on it, the more you can lessen their effect or you, you identify it right away so that you can actually change the conversation that's going on in your head. But those voices I think are always present. It's just how mute we can make them. Correct. Yes, Cara. And so I think that, you know, the uh, problem number one or step number one for everyone who is either already have grown up or is growing up and, uh, you know, more of becoming an adult is to recognize it, identify it, understand it, that it is not you. It's not your soul speaking to you. It's not yourself speaking to you. It's the program that has been programmed by your parents because they've been around you for all of your life before you become an adult. And these 18, 19 years of that first, you know, the two decades of your life are the most important decades of you becoming who you are, becoming your person. And as parents, we are around our children 24-7. We are talking to them. Uh, during the day, during the night, every every hour, every waking hour, we're the most important people around them. And so all they hear is us. And then that becomes that inner voice. And if we don't identify that, hey, this is your parents that are speaking to you right now, because let's say you're 18, you're 20, because that's when I started to identify that I may have a problem inside of my head and I need to fight it. If you don't understand that this is not you, you start to believe in it. And when you believe in that, you know, fake identity that is telling you that you're not worthy, uh, you can't do this. This is not something that you can accomplish. You, once you start believing it, you're done for the rest of your life. Mm. You're doomed to become that thought, right? Whatever, whatever you chose to believe that you're, you are, you, you become it. I love the way you said it's not yourself. Like I think self for me lately has taken on a new definition, but it's not yourself, that voice in your head. So then to bring your own self's voice into that head, 
to override that subconscious belief or that belief that you formed growing up is so important. But sometimes we we don't even spend any time with ourselves to know who ourself is mm-hmm. and to learn who we are because we've been trying to become whatever that circumstance or situation has wanted us to be. You're absolutely correct, Patty. I think that our problem in our society with grown adults is that we don't spend the time with ourselves. We don't go for enough walks outside. We don't go to the gym by ourselves outside where we can work and and be with ourselves uh, and just listen quietly to that inner voice and listen to what it's telling you. When we go you know, to a regular day-to-day, uh, morning to night, uh, nine-to-five work, that voice is running your life. But we don't even listen to what it's saying. It's just, it became part of who we are and it's running us. But if we just shut up for a second and just listen to what it's saying, you're like, what? why are you telling me this? I can do so much more. I can do so much better. This is not me. We don't do that. We don't spend time with ourselves. That's true, buddy. Can I ask you what story you formed as a child? I have so many questions that I know all of us want to know. Like, I'm just going to throw a couple of them at you. Maybe you can cover a couple of things. So did you grow up in Ukraine? How old were you when you moved to Canada? And we have in America here, we really have no idea what it's like to be in a country like Ukraine and, and what that's been through, that country's been through in the past and in the present. And then what was the voice that you heard that you, you know, that you aren't, the voice that you aren't? What is that identity? Yes, I did grow up in Ukraine. And uh, back then, Ukraine just has gone through a major transformation when USSR have collapsed. And that's when I moved. So I lived uh, in Ukraine for 15 years. So was already almost finishing up uh, high school. I was going into a specialized high school. So I was very much interested in math and science. Um, It was a physics and mathematics um, specialized high school. So I was always learning and, and of course, um, helping other kids as well. So it was really interesting for me in a sense of growing up as a child and um, exploring math and science. So I was constantly, you could say, a, a geek. And I didn't have a lot of, you know, social or like a lot of uh, fun outside of uh, being a student. Uh, of course, I had friends, but my my focus was always school. I, of course, in that 15 years, as you're growing up, a lot happens. Your life changes every year, especially when you're growing up in an unstable country like Ukraine. Um, so all I knew as I was growing up is that change is a constant thing. Uh, we had to go through all kinds of changes in the country with the economy. I was uh, growing up as a child um, and I had a change of parents. Uh, my mother divorced my father, so I didn't have a dad for a while. And then she remarried. And then I had a stepfather who came into my life when I was seven years old. And I had my grandparents who always took care of me and were my dearest caregivers. Uh, My grandfather was closest to me. He was like my father. He was very, very dear to me. And I enjoyed spending time with them a lot. And then my mother, when they got married, they uh, wanted me to spend the time with them more. So they played tag war between where I would be spending my time with, with the grandparents or with 
with the parent. Um, so that wasn't easy because as a child, you just want stability. But when, you know, your parents and grandparents are playing tag war with where you should be at, the stability breaks down. Uh, when you're seven years old in Ukraine, which is as it is, it's changing. Um, that was definitely a crucial you know, experience that I remember very clearly. It was very difficult on me. And um, I cried many nights because of that. Victoria, your grandparents are your mother's parents? Yes. Okay. So she, what your mother and stepfather were kind of at, having a little war between her, with, or between her parents as to who's going to take care of you and who's going to have you more with them. That's correct. Okay. How, do you remember how you felt? Like how you felt when you were a kid going through that? Well, I knew that I wanted to be with my grandparents. I knew stepfather coming in and he was young as well. He was 21, I believe, at that time. So there was not a lot of connection and it was not easy for me to, let's say, call him dad. And uh, they forced me to call him dad. And that was something that it was very painful. I was not uh, open for that yet. I wasn't ready. And uh, being forced to call somebody a father is, is a very difficult thing to overcome. So uh, there were already kind of difficult red flags that were flying around for my grandparents. And they wanted to be the primary caregivers for me because they wanted me to to go to school, you know, have a stable environment. And I actually wanted to spend the time with them as well, as much as possible. So I kind of was dragged back to my mother's home. And it was, it felt like it was against my will. Where was your dad in all of this, Victoria? So it's uh, great that you ask that question. What's going on in Ukraine right now? Uh, I am Ukrainian, but I did my ancestry DNA. And when I look at my ancestry DNA, I cover all of the all of the Europe. So I cover Poland, Russia, Ukraine. My grandfather, who I was just talking about, was Uzbeki. My grandmother is Ukrainian. She's still alive. God bless her. She's 91 years old in Ukraine, by the way. Oh, wow. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yes. And my father is Russian. So it is basically how most of the Russians and the Ukrainians are. We all, the Russians have the Ukrainians blood in them and the Ukrainians have the Russian blood in them. And the Russians that are coming in to bomb or take the land are taking and bombing their grandparents, which is really sad. So yes, my father is Russian and he was in Russia uh, when they divorced. Uh, my mother and father divorced. He left. He left to Russia. And my mom did not allow any contact with him on top of that. So I was hurt uh, from the fact that I could not have any contact with my father. And uh, my grandmother tried to have me write some letters and send, you know, secretly to him. And there was some secret communication happening. But I didn't get a chance to even see him in person a lot. I only saw him right before I was about to be leaving to Canada. So I didn't really get, I wasn't given a chance to know who my father was. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that sounds like it was wrapped from you. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was really wrapped from me. Yeah. And Victoria, earlier you mentioned about this fake identity that you were given that that isn't 
you know, or I think you mentioned it just kind of in general that we kind of form a fake identity from our circumstances and maybe what our parents might give us that we're not reflecting on ourselves. Can you share with us what your fake identity became through all of this and and where it came from and why, if you know? Um, so I, I think that this identity is really that becomes us from us growing up and becoming adults. And all of us go through different paths of life and different childhood that we have. But at the end of the day, even if the childhood is awesome and um, happy, it still forms us who we are. And that person that we are is kind of a shell that we we wear on a day-to-day basis that has formed us and we believe that that's us. But until we start digging deeper and deeper, we don't really know who we are. Do you know what I mean? It's it's something that has been built in us. So for example, for me, when I was in my early 20s, I didn't know that my parents have been building this identity in me. I was just going with it. I was thinking that that's the way it is because that's how you grow up. So when I left my house from living with my mother and my stepfather, I thought that this is normal life and that's how everybody lives their life because I was in that bubble until I came into my my husband's, their, back then my boyfriend's uh, family and his family was opposite of mine. Uh, it was so beautiful for me that I almost, I cried. I really cried to learn that, oh my God, families, like parents love you and they, there's this unconditional love and they smile at you every day. This happens. And to this day, my husband remembers that for him, it was one of the moving moments that he couldn't even believe that I was astonished by by his beautiful family, because he thought that's how old families are. Wow. When he learned about how my life was, he was he was very moved by that too. Yeah, like you said, you live in a bubble. So he he what his bubble was everyone lives like this. And your bubble was everyone lives like this. That's correct. And then you go into someone else's bubble and you realize, oh no, this bubble's different. Yes. For better or for worse, right? Yes. And that then becomes our identity, our shell. And uh, some of these bubbles are uh, very uh, negative and not nurturing. And some of the bubbles are nurturing and great. And then when we come out, we come out with that, you know, bubble around us and that becomes us. And I had to identify that negativity to be able to become a normal person because I knew otherwise I would just go absolutely crazy and I would never be a normal human being. So I started working on myself and it's been, I would say, already a good 15 years of me trying to break that shell down and understanding that this is not me. And this inner voice that's talking to me right now is is fake. It's not me. It's the ancestors talking. Because, you know, at the end of the day, my mom, what she was telling me, that was her mom probably telling who is my grandmother. And that was what my grandmother's mom was telling her. So these are generations and generations of me, you know, kind of coming through life and uh, becoming our DNA and our inner voice. And at the end, how do you ever find out who you are if you always listen to that voice? How do you ever find out if you never go quiet with yourself and and, and try to uh, explore your 
inner soul and separate yourself from these voices and from your parents and from your grandparents and just completely undress yourself from all of this ancestry, how do we ever find out who we are? It's like breaking a cycle. It's like choosing to break the cycle, the way you said said that. Yes. Victoria, can you share some of the statements that your itty bitty shitty committee or your fake identity, the fake bubble, can you share some of the things that you might have heard? And and I know that's a super vulnerable question. If you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Yeah, no, I could definitely share. So these voices are still with me. And as I'm fighting them for the last 15 years. What do they say? So um, unfortunately, when I was growing up and I, from the age of seven, when my stepfather joined our uh, family, um, they, uh, together with my mother, started to deposit these voices into my head. And they are, you're not worthy. You will never be able to achieve what you want. Uh, you're going to eat, I don't know if I can say it um, here on air. You can. You can. You say anything. You will eat shit for the rest of your life, is what has been told to me for all of my life growing up. Wow. Wow. You will eat shit for the rest of your life. And you started hearing that at seven years old, Victoria? That probably came in when I was a little bit older. I would say probably after being, you know, four, 12, 13. When I was between seven and growing up a little bit, I was just beaten. I was very badly beaten um, by my stepfather. Um, he was um, always finding a reason to pick up a belt and, and beat me up. So it was not a pleasant experience growing up. And that experience has also built me to be a strong human being, a strong adult, but definitely not pleasant when you're a child and you're always in bruises and always crying or just afraid to say something because there's going to be a hand coming across and hitting in your hitting you on your head. Oh, Victoria. I'm I'm impressed that you say you did really well in school because although maybe school was like a sanctuary for you because you weren't at home. It was. It was, yes. You you know, Kari, you really hit a, the nail on the head here. I think that my school and being good in school was my escape. And that's why I became that, you know, crazy perfectionist that drives everybody crazy at work now. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I hear you. Um, but it was my escape. And uh, also, uh, I wanted constantly as a kid, I will never, never remember, I forget this, is that my, my sole focus and goal in life when I was a kid was to prove themselves that I'm a good kid and I'm worthy of love. Mm. And with that, I, you know, I had to always be a straight A student. You know, always reading, always being that best kid in school. But no, that didn't do it. Didn't work. I was never good enough. That is the birth of perfectionism right there. Oh, wow. The birth of perfectionism. Trying to be loved, trying to prove you're worthy, prove you're worthy of love, prove you're worthy to fit in. That is the birth of perfectionism. And that drives us crazy to try to be perfect because we can't. We can't. And we're not supposed to be. Well, and her mom, it sounds like your mother and stepfather were so either miserable or sick and, and awful in their own way that it didn't matter what you do, they were still going to feel the same way about you. There was nothing you could have done to change their behavior. It's like not about you. You don't know that as a kid. 
I honestly feel bad for them too, because what we've gone through is very traumatic for myself and for them in their own way. You know, everybody thinks they're right in their head. You know, they were rich, rich, righteous in, uh, in their own way. But I think that they really didn't know what they were doing. Uh, they were so young. Also, my mother had me when she was 18 years old. And then she remarried and 21-year-old, you know, becomes a stepfather of a seven-year-old. So they had no experience of being adults or taking care of children or being good parents. And I think that, uh, although if they would be listening to this, you know, I would say that I've gone through the, all the hurt and I forgive them. And they will probably laugh at me and say, what is there to forgive me? Yeah, we should be forgiving you. Uh, but we all have to go through that. We have to go through forgiveness. Um, and uh, they just didn't know. And they were going through very difficult life themselves. Uh, Ukraine wasn't easy. After the collapse, you had to uh, fight for yourself. Um, you know, the uh, uh, the Ukrainian currency has dropped significantly. I believe it was, you know, became like 10% of what it was before in a period of one night. So people lost everything they had. Um, so it wasn't an easy life. And unfortunately, when you're going through this crazy uh, nonsense cycle outside, you come home and they had to take it on, out on someone. And I was the person who was right there next to them. So they were taking it all out on me. And um, I was observing it as, as a child growing up and observing all their hurt. And that that's what I'm now constantly fighting with is in terms of what I became from all of that experience. It's like hurt, hurt people, hurt people is, you know, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. So that cycle, that need, that cycle needs to be broken and the hurt people, which I was uh, as well, have to transform that pain into something positive. You need to fully digest it and make it something positive out of it and become become a butterfly, right? I mean, as we're growing up as as uh, children, we're, uh, we go through being a caterpillar. And then as we become teenagers, we become uh, the cocoons and then we become a butterfly. So how we make ourselves out into this world as a butterfly, we have a full influence of that. And we can't let the parents decide what color your wings are going to be. I love that. I know, me too. Um, Victoria, I assume you're an only child. No, um, I do have a brother. Yes, there's more to a story. When I was 10 years old, so that's three years after my stepfather joined the family, uh, my parents had um, a, a child. So my brother Ivan was born and I was a 10-year-old child at that time. And I fell in love with Ivan. Um, when he was a little baby, he became mine. Parents would always leave me as a babysitter. I literally was a 24-7 live-in nanny. And um, I considered him my own child. I would, I had him with me everywhere. I would go out playing with friends. He would be with me. We would take him wintertime, summertime. Uh, I was always with a stroller. I was changing. There, was no, there weren't any diapers in Ukraine. I had to wash all of his, you know, his clothes and with my hands and take care of the household. I was 11 years old and I was doing the dishes and washing the floors, doing everything around the house and taking care of him while my parents were working or 
trying to make uh, extra money for for us to live on. Wow. Where is Ivan now? Ivan is in Canada with my parents. And uh, like with my parents, I have no contact with him as well. Unfortunately, I did have very good contact with him after I broke up with my parents. And um, he's uh, he's ghosted me. Uh, He's not picking up the phone. And it's very clear that he doesn't want to have anything to do with me at this point. So I'm convinced that he does live with with my parents. I'm convinced that, unfortunately, they told him something that is not true because it can't be true to the fact that he is not calling me and he's not in contact with me. There's nothing that I've done wrong that can make him not want to call me. So we don't have, unfortunately, any contact right now. That's, I'm sorry, that's heartbreaking. Did they, did your parents treat him the same as you? With those messages and the beatings? Unfortunately, yes. It was something that I was trying to protect him from for all of my life. And when we moved to Canada, he was just four years old. And um, they were so mean to him as well. They would beat him up if he wet his bed in the morning. And we would always have these fights. I would fight for him. Don't touch him. He's a baby. Is a child. Don't don't hurt him. And so we would have these fights in the morning, and then I would get him dressed up and take him to school. So um, in Canada, we live uh, in a great neighborhood. So our house was right in between his school, which was about three kilometers walk to the right, and then my school, which was three kilometers walk to the left. So every morning I would get him dressed, feed him and take him to school, walk him to his school, and then walk all the way from there to my school. And then I would finish my school and then I would walk all the way to his school, pick him up and bring him home. And that was my life every day. I would feed him, uh, take care of him. He was always around me and I didn't want to leave the house, although I dreamed about leaving the house for a long time. But I didn't want to leave the house because I didn't want to leave him alone with them. When you say leave the house, Victoria, do you mean kind of like run away from home and live somewhere else? Yes, I've dreamed about that many, many times. Wow. You did do that, didn't you? Did you did, did you run away? Did you go seek shelter some somewhere else? No, I that well, my parents actually made it very easy by the time I was my early 20s. I was around 21 years old already. I had a job. I had a car. I actually was paying for rent in our home for a year already. So when I was, when I got my first job out of college, I was basically for the parents. I was paying for, for, for rent, giving the money for, for food. So I was supporting the family. And I'm already in my 20s and uh, old enough to make my own decisions. And I am in the house uh, because of my brother. I could have found a place to live and, you know, uh, support myself because I had a job. And um, I was, uh, I started dating my husband. Uh, and now at that time, of course, boyfriend. And uh, we were spending a lot of time together. And my parents did not like it. They did not like me being not at home, that they told me I'm a bad daughter, although I was paying for everything and I was just trying to set my life up. And so they really hated me being outside of the home. It was it was very hard to me to get out of the house at any point in time since I was a kid. So they were so unhappy that they actually kicked me out of the house. 
Wow. They threw me out of the house for which I was paying for the whole family. And I had nowhere to go. Um, I had nowhere to go other than my boyfriend at that time says, you're going to move in with my parents and you'll meet them. They're great. You're going to love it. You have to come here. So within an hour of me crying on a parking lot of a gas station in my car with a few things in the back, he said, you're coming over. So he gave me shelter and his, uh, my husband's uh, parents are the best parents in the world. Like I've mentioned, they were so kind and they showed me what unconditional love is, which is, of course, what I'm showing to my kids right now. And to be honest, his parents are my parents now. We're very close and I love them so much. Oh, that's awesome. That's so beautiful. I still can't believe that your parents, you were paying for everything and they kicked you out of the house. Did they expect you to keep paying for things even though you left? I'm not sure. I never asked that question. But uh, life wasn't easy even after because uh, they um, they were so mean to me through all of my life. And I understood how mean they were to me when I saw my husband's family. I didn't know that it was not okay to always cry. I didn't know that, you know, crying every day is not normal. So I started to understand that, oh my gosh, this was so mean of what they've done to me. You know, when you understand your, it's, it was pure, full out emotional abuse. And when you understand that you are emotionally abused and you recognize it, it hurts even more. Yeah. Because you were a child. Yeah. And it's interesting because you also described horrible physical abuse. But the thing right now that you're really talking about is the emotional abuse. You're correct. <laughs> you, this is such a great pickup. I think that emotional abuse, even though it's not physical, is 10 times harder on a human being than physical abuse. Because with physical abuse, the deeper part of physical abuse is emotional abuse. The part that you said earlier that you're not worthy. Why? Why would these parents who are supposed to protect me and love me and provide for me be hurting me? It must be me. Right. Oh, Patty, you are really picking up on, you know, the real the real issue that continues to be with us, right? You always think that it's you. It, as my parents always blamed me on everything. So I was to the point when I was a kid, I was afraid to be happy and laughing because I thought that I'm going to get hurt only because of that. Like you're, you can't be too happy because you're going to pay a price for it. It's like, oh my gosh, I was too happy yesterday. I'm going to be crying today. So that pattern, that pattern becomes a pattern in your life that you're kind of anticipating, right? So you're now afraid of happiness and joy. And I was robbed of a lot of happiness and joy growing up. And not only that, it came with a punishment. Mm. I know. I, I think we all need tissues right now. <laughs> yeah, that just is so backwards. But but it was what your it was your reality. And how how could you not feel that way? Because that's what that's what your you had so much evidence to, that that was the way life is because of what you the bubble you were living in. It's it's really sad. I know that there's a lot of children out there who live this life. There's a lot of them, and they live in in these horrible bubbles. And then they're going to be growing up, and and then they're going to have these inner voices in them who it's not them. And then, like you said, Patty, you know, hurt people, hurt people, and then they continue on this cycle. So 
how can we break that cycle? I, I think that I want to, I'm in the quest to to bring awareness to this, to all of these human beings who think they know, they know everything and they have a right to hurt this another human being who is so small, you know, who is half of you. And you think that you have the right to raise your hand and hurt them. Like who in, in their common sense thinks it's okay to beat children. They're so small and they're so helpless. If they were a grown adult, so my children now are 15 years old and they're six feet tall. <laughs> they're so tall. They're so big. And we never, ever lay our hands on them. So it was at a price of, you know, you can't hurt your children, but you have to repeat it a million times. So you repeat and repeat and repeat. <laughs> So we never heard them, but imagine this, you know, child turns around and he hits you back. Like he gives you a slap in your face, you know, or he fists you in the nose. You know, why do you think you have the right to hurt your child who is completely helpless? And especially a seven-year-old girl, mm-hmm. you know, this, this pretty little girl that's just going around always smiling and being happy. And you take her light away by, by turning around and hitting that little child people need to stop doing this it's it's not okay it's not okay victoria it is not okay it's it's evil it should be illegal i think that you know that should be made illegal where parents should know that you just cannot hit your child you know you have to find other ways to get into their into their sense so they understand what you're talking about and erasing your hand you know, and and doing something that hurts them is not okay. It's not okay, Victoria. It is not okay. Victoria, when when Kara and I were doing our research on you, we saw this badass, successful woman who just was interviewed by all of these magazines and companies and CFO of the year. You know, I am going to imagine that the people who meet you in your job the people who met you yesterday when you were given that presentation would never see someone who had a voice in their head that said they weren't worthy or they weren't good enough or they couldn't they were going to eat shit for the rest of their life that's not who is who who shows up every day how tell you know this podcast is all about overcoming those horrific things that happen to human beings in life that should never happen that really bad, bad things happen to good human beings. Tell us how you overcame all of this and persevered and pushed to have a badass career and help thousands of people have a better life. And how how do you and Alex, you know, what decisions did you make raising your children? And how were you, how did you break the cycle? So I know I'm asking you a lot, but your story is so compelling to know the outcome of who you are. And who you've become. I think that there is definitely a lot of different um, answers I can give you, Patty, on this. But it all boils down to one answer. And it is my husband. And my husband is the beautiful soul that came into this life to save me. I truly believe that. He always laughs at it. But, uh, you know, he is my angel. And at the end of the day... Uh, this inner voice is being programmed by the parents and that becomes you. 
And unfortunately, I was, I had no confidence in myself and I was never good enough for my parents or for anyone else. I was not worthy and I was never smart enough and I couldn't do the things that I uh, always wished I could do. That was the story you were telling yourself. That was the story. Even the, even though I was living a different life and I was I was a badass at work, <laughs> I was being promoted three times in the same company, and yet I still thought the same. I also wanted to bring up a point that when our brain is a funny thing, our brain, when it's your inner voice, it doesn't listen to you. To like, you, if you trying to make those affirmations on a daily basis. I'm smart, I'm worthy, I'm good. Well, guess what? You, Your brain doesn't believe it. It's very difficult for people to convince themselves that life is good if you are convincing yourself that life is good. These affirmations are very difficult to get into, but it takes one voice outside of a third party to tell you something and that will stick with you for the rest of your life. Isn't that true? It is. It does seem to be more compelling coming from someone else, doesn't it? It's like validation. That's right. Like I can't just, can't just believe it for myself. I have to have somebody else validate that. That's right. But that's what we're taught, right? We're trying to get our, get approval as a child. You're trying to get that validation as a child. And really it's not until your higher self can give you that internal validation. I think that that voice starts to quiet. If you're lucky, yes. You know, to quiet that voice. So for me, I had the a new voice that came around into my life. I was uh, so fortunate. Um, I was really, really fortunate. I got lucky in my life because my husband came around and he became... He started to tell you who you really were. Is that right? It sounds like it was not just him. It was his parents too. And I don't know if he had any siblings, but it sounds like everybody saw the light in you and lit that fire again. My whole family, they really lit me up. They lifted me up. They believed in me. They they believed in me so much. And and their voices became the new voices in my head uh, that I can do it. And it was really difficult to uh, make those voices loud because they were just new. Mm -hmm. It takes time for it to become the new identity. And to, to this point, I'm 41 years old. We've been married for uh, 16 years uh, with my husband and we've been together for close to 20. So we've known each other for a long time. And to this day, as for as long as he has been telling me this new voice, half of my life, it's still, I'm fighting it. I'm still fighting it because the voice that your parents put into you as a child is much stronger than the voice that it comes into you when you're an adult. And so he's constantly fighting with that inner voice himself. That's his battle. Mm. He, know, he knows it. He recognizes it. He knows it's not me. And he fights it. Um, so he really makes me understand that I am strong and I can do this. And um, I'm smart. And in a way, that now became a battle inside of me. And But then at the end of the day, who is me, right? Who is me inside? So... I was forcing myself to spend the time with myself, like you said, Patty, you know, talk, not even talk, just go quiet, just just go into myself. I went into a spiritual journey. 15 years ago, I started my spiritual journey and finding out who I am in order to overcome this, these scars and become normal. 
as you you know may want to say it's hard to say what's normal but i wanted to have a good life i wanted to have a normal life but i knew that if i continue to live with these scars then it's a it's a vicious cycle that recreates an experience around you that's negative that recreates that hurt around you so you need to completely break the cycle so you don't have the hurt anymore so i knew that to break that cycle i had to tell my parents i'm sorry but i can no longer see you we can no longer talk you cannot be in my life because you bring so much hurt to me i tried to reconcile with them they were at my wedding i brought them oh yes i thought it's going to be a good way for us to be together and reconcile and uh, make make um, you know meet the make them meet my new parents and they they were at the wedding uh, and after the wedding I had uh, well a year passed and I had my twins and I needed help and uh, the, when twins are born they're five and a half pounds they're very small and tiny and they always need to eat they eat there are forty five every forty five minutes around the clock. And it was really, really hard. I was 26 years old and I needed help. And my mother was coming for first couple of weeks and then she started to make uh, make kind of troubles, make it hard or difficult to come over or, you know, start kind of gossip or being negative, being herself again. And that just brought tears and additional stress to me. And I knew that they will never change. I was hoping that they would change with my children being born and uh, that they would want to be better people, better parents and stop being negative, stop talking bad about other people and uh, just be. Uh, They couldn't do that. And I said, in order for me to break the cycle, in order for me to be happy, step number one, I need them not to be around me. Wow. So I broke up with my parents. I said, you no longer can come. I cannot see you because it's too difficult on me. I'm sorry. And that was after they were at Kick Me Out. So I've given them a chance. Wow. This is one of, mo- one of the most courageous things to do for yourself, like to recognize that yourself needed that to be happy and to actually follow through with that is huge. Because as I've been listening to your story, as you've been sharing it with us today, Victoria, it seemed like the desire to please your mom and your stepdad your step parent, we won't call him your stepdad, was so strong that you would have done anything for them to get their love and approval, in- including stay in the home, protect your brother, you know, Ivan, and pay their rent, d- take care of the house, do whatever you could to just get their love and approval and never ever could seek it. And then to try to reconcile and to have it come to the point where you were like, you know what, I'm identifying that this relationship is not serving me well. And if I let this into my now new family and it's going to, the cycle is going to repeat with my children. And it sounds like my, your mama bear instincts like took over and said, no way, this is not going to happen. I saw what another bubble looks like with my husband, Alex's family, and I'm going to choose this bubble, Alex's bubble rather than my own. I'm, I'm just impressed that you were able to do that and still have compassion in your heart for the situation. I'm, I'm impressed by you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It, it definitely is not an easy story to tell and go through that. And not everybody will also understand or be happy for me when I say that I had to break up with my parents. People don't understand how, what do you mean? You, you, what, you don't talk to your mother? Uh, you know, it's if people think that your parents 
own you and parents think that they own their children. And everybody's forgetting that we are all our own sovereign beings. We are our own souls and we are born into this life. And we're parents only here to help and guide and support them, our children through the first, you know, 20 years of their life and, and be the positive voice in, in their head and, and then let them go, let them fly away and start their own life and enjoy their own human life and be there to support. But we never own our children. They're their own sovereign beings. And to this day, sometimes I tell, you know, if I, you know, have a shorter conversation where we don't go into the details, but I say, I don't have any contact with my parents. They give me a stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How does that, how does that go with your children? How have you explained that to them or has it come up like that? <laughs> stink eye. It's it's interesting. Yeah, my uh, my my children actually never met my mother. They were six months old when the last time that she saw them. Uh, of course, they have no recollection of that memory. So they've met her when she did up to their six months old age, and um, so they never saw her. And they were eight years old one day, and we were talking about. You know, parents, 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 and in our house, parents is Alex's parents, 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 parents. So I, we, we were like, we're looking around, but we think we think that our children think that we have the same parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's our bubble, right? We have this bubble. We never, we never covered it, so they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. <laughs> So I had to sit down with my kids. They're eight years old, you know, and and, I'm, and I tried to explain it to them. Well, you know, I actually have my own parents. We just don't have any contact. And um, I didn't, honestly, I could not lie. It's something that I, you know, cannot ever just make up a story and look straight my kids into the eyes and tell them that. So I, I was like, I have, I have to tell them the truth. I have to come clean with my eight-year-old children. And um, I said, my parents were very mean to me when I was growing up. And them being mean to me was very hurtful. And I didn't want to bring this into your life. So that's why we don't speak. And so I said, so they know. They know, they understand. We never actually go into the details. I will probably have them listen to this podcast. Because mm. they're old oh, enough now. That would be so great. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea, Victoria. I love them to death. Of course, you love your children so much. And what I've learned from my experience with my parents is that this inner voice is very important. And as I was going through my my spiritual journey of finding out who I am, uh, I was already raising my kids. So I was lucky that I started this journey early enough that I was already becoming conscious. I was waking up and I was already uh, a mother. And so I was very careful with how and what we tell to our kids, you know, how we treat them. Of course, we never laid our hands on them. That was a rule number one. And uh, then uh, my husband is really good at this. My husband is so patient. Alex will repeat the same thing 20 times, 30 times until, until they get it. And then they don't get it. And then, you know, it's years after you're saying the same thing, you know, and uh, you just hope that it sticks. And then eventually, years after years, they become who they are. 
uh, you know, and uh, and now when uh, anybody meets our children, we get so many, you know, amazing, so much amazing feedback. Your children are so personable. They're such, you could say, you could tell they're good people, you know, they're just very real and they're real and they're 15, but they're mature. Uh, we've done a great job so far. We're really happy with what where our children are and what they're doing with their life at their age of 15. We're very proud of them. They play hockey. They're they're doing really well in school, and we have these. They have these great plans. So really exciting time to see them grow up. But uh, I already knew that uh, I had to be a conscious parent. So uh, my husband and I, we were very positive growing up, uh, growing the kids up and always telling them positive affirmations. You know, I even to the, to, to, to the degree where I would just say, okay, let's not say that because I don't want it to stay with them. I don't want them to think that, you know, let's say that they can't do something specific. So don't say, you know, uh, you didn't do a good job on that. Just say, try again, do it again. Right. So when, when the child is learning how to walk, and you know, first time that they try to stand up on their feet and they fall a little bit on their butt, like we don't say, "Oh, you're not, you can't, you'll never walk, you can't walk." <laughs> right? We give them, we we become supportive. You know, we give them, you know, a, a nudge and they go again. So that's what we have to do as parents. If with whatever they're trying, whatever their age, even when they're twenty, we have to be the supportive parents to always be there for them, believe in them. That's most important. Believe in your children. Believe in their talents. You know, find out what the genius is of your child. You know, and stick to that because if you don't know what the what the genius of your child is, how will that child ever know what the genius is? <laughs> so, Victoria, I have a a couple of questions for you. One is, and 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 I first want to congratulate you on breaking the cycle and you know doing everything you can to make sure that your children grow up in a happy, healthy, encouraging, positive space. I think that's really beautiful. But I want to know if you are able, as your forty-one-year-old self, with this new identity—not the fake identity, but your new identity—what would you tell your seven-year-old? What would you tell that seven-year-old little girl? You're loved. And if sometimes you feel that nobody around you cares about you, know that there's always someone around you that cares deeply and loves you deeply. Mm. And that will always be the case, which was the case. My grandfather loved me so much. I was very close with him. Unfortunately, when we moved to Canada, he stayed in Ukraine and I did not have him in my life as much. But I spoke with him over the phone. He did come to visit me in Canada. It was beautiful. That was the last time I saw him when he came to visit me. He actually got a chance to uh, see my future husband from upstairs from a 10th floor. He was standing outside on the balcony and having a cigarette. And I met a boy I liked back then. <laughs> a boy I had a crush on that uh, just came up to me and was talking to me. And uh, little did we know that we're going to get married and have beautiful twin boys. Aww. And my grandfather saw him from upstairs. So that was a beautiful moment that we remember to this moment. So he was always around me. And, uh, you know, when he died, unfortunately, I always have these very sad stories. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, here's another sad story. It's so sad. My grandfather was so dear to me. My kids were uh, four four months old and... He was on his deathbed, and I knew that I needed to go to Ukraine to visit him. I get on the plane 
And to get to Ukraine, uh, you have a connection flight. Somewhere in Europe, I don't remember exactly which city, but the flight from there to Odessa, which is where I was born, was a two-hour flight. Oh, actually, I remember it was Kiev. Kiev is Ukrainian capital. I landed in Kiev and um, I pick up the phone and, you know, one of those pay phones. And I call call my parents, grandparents to say that I landed in Kiev. I'm coming to Odessa. I'll be there in, in a few hours. And my grandmother picks up the phone and she says, oh, Vika, you're coming. And then, and then she says, oh, my God. And in that moment, my grandfather died. Oh, oh my God, Victoria. He dropped on the floor when I called. Must have been because I excited him so much that he was... Oh, my goodness. So I didn't get a chance to sleep. Oh. I was flying to Odessa, knowing that I'm not going to see him. I was hoping to see his body. When I came in, I was hoping to see his body, but they took him away. So I didn't get a chance to see him. Wow. Victoria, I'm so sorry. Sorry. Were you able to be there for, I don't know how, how quickly you would do a, a funeral, but were you able to be there for the service? Well, that's what I did. Um, I came there to visit him and instead I was doing the funeral. I, yeah, I buried him. And then I came back uh, to Canada. My children were there little and um, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, but it's true. He came with me. His soul carried with me and um, I heard his footsteps. He was breathing into my face and I knew he was there (laughs) to the point where I was laying in the middle of the night and I felt the breath of him breathing into my face. And then I heard the footsteps going across into the children's room because they were just across the hallway and you could hear them. And as soon as he reached the children's room, they woke up and they started laughing, both of them. (laughs) That's cute. Wow. They were just laughing and his soul was around for about six months. And all he did was make our children laugh. (laughs) (laughs) How beautiful. And they were just, um, you know, they were just, actually, I, I misspoke. They were not four months old because they were already walking. So that must have been a year and a half because they were walking. And so I remember them in their little diapers, the two of them. They were so cute. They were so cute. Oh, my gosh. Two little little cuties walking around with their diapers. And they would just stare into an empty, dark stairway upstairs and just laugh. So That's a great story. It is. Oh, but meanwhile, all of that was happening. I thought I was going crazy. (laughs) I told my husband, I'm like, I just, I think I'm going crazy. Like, I swear. And so if you ask Alex about this, he will tell you straight up with like straight face. And he doesn't typically, you know, believe in all of this non-terrestrial thing. No, sorry. It was going to say the the ghost. But he said, yep, they were laughing into a dark stairway. Oh, that's awesome. So he, he, he acknowledged he acknowledged it. And so I was like, okay, so I need to stop this because I feel like I'm going crazy. So I had to do a meditation. I went into a deep meditation to meet my grandfather. I met with him. I had a conversation with him. I told him I love him so di- so deeply and that I'm letting him go because he needs to go out there and maybe come back into reincarnation, but go get busy with that. And then since then, all of that has disappeared. So his, you know, his soul has left. And and so I guess 
he met my children. That's great. That's, <laughs> That's so awesome. Great, that is so awesome. And they met him. And they met him. And they were so happy to see him. They had these huge smiles. <laughs> They're just, you could, you, even, even Alex's parents witnessed that it was happening in their house. And everybody was just unbelievably shocked. But because they were laughing and they were so happy, it was undoubtful of what was going on. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Victoria. It's great. So to wrap, to wrap all of this up, Victoria, we started out with your why of wanting to share your story was to bring awareness to parents who might be continuing a cycle, even unknowingly, right? Because sometimes we aren't, we don't become conscious, as you said, we don't go on that journey. We don't even recognize that there's something wrong with the cycle because you're in that bubble as you described it. So you're trying to penetrate the bubble of these people um, that are in a trauma cycle. They've experienced it themselves probably, and they're carrying it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We started with your why. So what is it that, you know, just to wrap this up, that you would tell parents that might recognize that they've been traumatized in their own childhood, but, you know, in their heart of hearts, they recognize it and might even be continuing the cycle or afraid to continue the cycle. What would you, what would you tell them? And I, as I'm saying that I'm having my own awareness that, you know, I always wanted children myself and, and I, I grew up with trauma as well. And I made the conscious decision because I recognized in myself that I wasn't strong enough to maybe break the cycle. The emotional story would my my judge might come out on a child and I wouldn't want that to happen. I would I didn't want someone to grow up the way I grew up. So I made that conscious decision knowing I couldn't be strong like you. I couldn't break that cycle. I wasn't ready to become conscious. So what would you tell someone that is in that position? You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. Uh I think that as we make a decision to become parents, we need to make an audit in our inner self or if we're ready or not. And the first question, you know, that needs to be questioned to yourself is, do you recognize that your inner voice inside of your head is not you? Do you know that it's not you? Because that's the first time. And the first thing that we do in recognition is identifying it. And then you start to explore it. If you don't identify it and if you think, no, I don't have any inner voice. I'm fine by myself. Then, then you may not be ready to be a parent, <laughs> right? Because that's just something that will continue as a cycle. But if you know that voice and if you know what they are, what that is, you are absolutely ready to be a parent because you will never allow that voice to come out on your children because your mama bear personality, like you said, will come in and it will claw it away. It's not going to allow it to speak. So great. I love that. I like that. Yeah, same here. Victoria, thank you so much for really opening yourself up and being vulnerable and really telling your story for the first time in public. It was very compelling and emotional. I think we've all cried during the, we've all laughed, we've all cried, which is usually (laughs) the case for most of our podcasts. But if someone out there listens to this and wants to reach out to you, would you be comfortable giving your email address out for someone to reach out to you? Yes, absolutely. I think that the the reason why I'm here making my story 
public is because I want to help as much as possible to any soul or human being out there who needs this help. And my quest is to see if I can, you know, impact the life out there with this vicious cycle or these bubbles that we now uh, named it. Um, I think that it's a really good way to name it. If you need help out there, yes, reach out. That's that's really what I want to do. Great. What email address is the best place for people to reach you? I'll give it to you. Um, so it's my first name, last name, Vico Klina. That's V as in Victoria, K-U-K-L-I-N as in Nancy, a at yahoo.com. Thank you so much, Betty. I appreciate it. <laughs> v Kuklina at yahoo.com. Awesome. Victoria, thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much. It is my pr- pleasure. Thank you so much, Betty and Car. I really appreciated it. And I think that I'm, uh, I- I'm here to tell the story. And if you have any questions or anything that uh, you need to follow up with, I'm always here. Thank you. Awesome. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say. Take three. Oh my God. You know, Des is going to do outtakes with this. <laughs> he totally is. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. Watch yourself, Des. <laughs>